What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders, to explore what needs to get done. Today, I'm joined by Helen Hovlak, who is the Vice President at The Verge. The Verge is an ambitious multimedia effort founded in 2011 to examine how technology will change life in the future for a massive mainstream audience. The Verge reaches 55 million US readers and millions of subscribers on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and email. And Helen started as an engagement editor, which was part of the social media team. But today, as I said, she's the vice president. Helen, welcome to the Trusted Web podcast. Thank you. To set a backdrop for the conversation, what is the state of media and journalism today from your perspective? So there's a few trends I think we've seen in media and journalism over the last 10 years. So coincidentally, the amount of time The Verge has existed, we turned 10 in November. Um, the first of those is I don't think it's a surprise to anyone who's been following news that has been a period of prolonged contraction in the industry. When newspapers had to go online, it was really hard. Facebook and Google own an increasing amount of the ad revenue. It is really hard to make it as a newspaper today. I think last year, the Pew Center reported that something like 50% of all newspaper jobs were lost in the United States since 2008, which is just a crazy statistic. Against that, you've had some of those jobs get made up by new kinds of publishers. So you've seen digital publishers like Vox Media um, come into the scene. So that's been some good news. Um, but even in the digital space right now, I'll say the second trend I think we're all seeing is a lot of consolidation. So the big story of this month, BuzzFeed is using a SPAC, a special acquisition company. Um, they had acquired HuffPost last year. They're merging with complex networks. Um, you're seeing consolidation of the digital publishers. And then you're seeing some of the big players like New York Times get bigger and bigger. They're at about 8 million subscribers now. But against that, the thing I think is really exciting is that you're seeing diversification into new business models and you're seeing a ton of innovation on how news can exist, how it can be supported, how it can make money. You know, Vox Media has historically been very advertising focused. We've been very successful in that space. Um, but some of the biggest areas of growth for us right now are in areas like affiliate commerce, like reader revenue and subscriptions. Um, entertainment and areas like that. And so it has been a time of big change. We've lost a lot of journalism jobs in the United States. I think we're trying to come back and figure out new models to support really good quality journalism. And so it's an exciting time, but a challenging time as always. It is never a dull moment to be a digital media company. <laughs> what do you expect over the coming years? How will the distribution and revenue be, for example, five years from now? You know, I think we are hoping to continue to see growth in all areas, right? Um, I think for us, Vox Media is an interesting case where we also make our own ad technology and we run it on other sites. So we have an ad tech platform called Concert. And so for us, I think we're hoping to continue to see growth in advertising. I think right now we're seeing growth in advertising. So I don't want to downplay that as a key part of supporting news today. 
But I think where we also see tons of growth opportunity is in areas like entertainment. Um, our sister site, Vox.com, has had a really amazing Netflix show that I would encourage you to watch. Um, but also, you know, commerce, I think, is going to be huge for us. Podcasting and audio in general is going to be huge for us. And then reader revenue, I think, is a really exciting opportunity. So we merged with New York uh, Media a couple of years ago. They have a really good reader revenue business. And I think there's a lot of potential there as well. If you look at uh, specifically trust in into the internet, is there anything you've done at, for example, the, the Verge or specifically the Verge to gain and build trust? And did that impact how you create and distribute content over the last decade? Yeah, so I work a lot with our editor-in-chief, Nilay Patel, and I hear him talk to our editors about all the things we need to do. Um, a theme I heard come up on your conversation with Matt from Politico was the idea of kind of showing how you report a little bit. Um, you know, I think right now at this moment in time, we have to be extremely careful as journalists of how we look at sources, how we interrogate who might be behind those. We know there are state actors trying to control the information in the news. We also know there's, you know, uh, defamation counsel trying to squash stories and change how you report. So you, on as a journalist, you have to be incredibly wary of um, the information you're getting. But then when you report out that story, the sources that have given you the story, uh, if you have screenshots that are backing something up, how you use that in your reporting, or do a little bit of work to explain to your audience how you arrived at a conclusion, who you talked to, where the information came from, I think can go a long way. I mean, in meme speak, we would call this like, show me the receipts. Um, and so I think as, as journalists in a newsroom, we need to focus on that. And then, you know, related to that, but I would say one of the strengths of The Verge, you know, we're in the technology industry, we cover a lot of technology news, we also review a lot of technology products. It has meant that since the beginning, the Verge has had to have a pretty strict and clear public ethics policy um, that we can reference and that our audience knows we follow. And so that governs things like if you're a reporter at the Verge, like you can't own tech stock. We don't want you to own cryptocurrency. We're really careful about how we handle product that comes to us and what we do with that responsibly. And so I think that also goes a big way to earning trust with audiences. And then I would say, you know, I, I'm eager to talk about what's coming next in that space. But um, I think one thing that we've been talking about a lot is, you know, trust in institutions is waning. I think that's true in the United States and, and true around the world. Um, but what doesn't seem to be going away is trust in individual people. And so I think as a newsroom, um, we are a overall brand, but we're also a collection of individual beat reporters and personalities that our audience has been following for years. And so if you've been listening to the Vergecast and you've just been listening to Neelai and Dieter talk to each other for an hour and a half every week for 10 years, you develop like a lot of trust. And a, a we, I think Dieter calls it a parasocial relationship with the audience. And so, you know, as we think about the future of our newsroom, figuring out how to have, like support those beat reporters come up with products like podcasts, like newsletters, like YouTube series that can help us build that parasocial relationship with the audience. Putting like a focus on bylines on our website. I think all of that's gonna be really important to how we continue to grow and, and build trust with the audience. 
Yeah, I saw it. The podcast track record you have. What was the amount of downloads over the last years? It was 20, 20 million or so. I saw that on the Fox Media website. Podcast has been a huge growth. I think we The Verge was founded with the podcast. The Verge cast goes all the way back to the beginning. Last year, we um, launched Decoder with Neil Patel. Um, but Vox Media as a whole has also seen a huge growth in podcasting. And I think something has happened in the last two or three years for where for a long time, it felt like we were all fighting for the same podcast listeners and you couldn't convince any non-podcast listener to listen to a podcast. I think that changed. And I think Spotify in particular really helped that change. Um, and so now podcast listenership, I think the pie has just gotten a lot bigger. Like my mom's listening to podcasts, um, which wouldn't have been the case five years ago. And so that has been a really exciting area of growth. I do worry a little bit that it's so hyped there that at some point there'll be a bit of a market correction. You know, I think of, I don't think it's Facebook video in 2016, but it is so hot right now, but overall listenership is going way up. One of the things, and I saw that you discussed that two years back on, on a panel, is the newsletters and the substacks and stuff like that upcoming. You have such a big experience in building a podcast out to one of the largest technology titles in the world. What learnings did you take from the podcasting industry and did you translate to content or other types of distributions at the first? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what makes a podcast so unique and special it's a really personal experience listening to a podcast you really get in someone's mind you hear their voice um you hear their personality in a way that if you're just reading short form content on the web i think you're much less likely to pay attention to the byline wrote it and so that just creates a much deeper relationship and we see that in other areas too right so we make a huge youtube channel in fact we have two youtube channels that both have more than a million subscribers. And what we see as people follow and list and watch our videos is that in particular, they're watching out for specific talent that they know and love. People on our YouTube channel love Becca Versace. They love Dieter Bone. Anytime they show up in a video, people get really excited. They follow it. They like cheerlead it. They try and share it. Um, and I think that's true for podcasting. And I think that can be true for newsletters. Now, I don't want to say that I feel like The Verge has totally cracked newsletters and we are the best at it. It is an area we want to invest more in. Um, and then when I look at Substack, everyone, you know, there's a lot of buzz like Substack's going to like come eat digital publishing. Um, we actually have a really good relationship with Casey Newton, who was a senior editor at The Verge. He went off to do his thing on Substack, but he's remained a contributing editor at The Verge. He publishes one of his newsletters to The Verge every week. Uh, we work with him a lot on his big investigations, and that's been a really actually fruitful collaboration between The Verge and Casey. And so I don't think those things have to be mutually exclusive and we can grow together. One of the things uh, we're working on is bringing transparency and accountability to all information that matters and transparency as in super radical. So for example, what was the the previous revision of this article? Who was the person who sent it and all in an open source way with blockchain technology? Is that something that you can see publishers do over the coming years being super transparent, not only saying that this is what we changed, but really putting fingerprints and really leaving the trail? You know, 
I would say I, I wish I thought something like this would solve the misinformation problem on the internet. Facebook tried a really light version of this and some other platforms did in like 2017. So they worked with the trust project. They came up with these like trust signals so that any article you saw on Facebook, you could kind of read more about the publisher behind it, see what their funding and motivation was. And that was like their big idea. I haven't really seen any evidence that that helped solve the misinformation problem on Facebook. A fear I have is that the kind of people who will go interrogate the metadata of the story, or maybe actually we need to catch people sooner than that. Um, and so how we do that, I think is a problem we need to solve as a society. My old coworker, Walt Mossberg, actually works a lot with the News Literacy Project. And one thing they do is try and teach kids how to interrogate stories, the motivation behind them, uh, look for the byline on the story, look for who might fund it, look for signals like, is the design of this web page look like an actual publisher? Now that stuff gets harder and harder as web design gets easier to make look good. You know, the rise of beautiful WordPress sites, the rise of deep fakes, which are coming for us. But I think we need to catch people a little sooner and get them to take that step of interrogating the metadata of a story is maybe what we need to do first. Yeah, and what the technology can do is making sure, hey, this information existed at this moment in time, and this was the first one who published it. But the dangerous other side could be, hey, this is wrong or this is right. So there's uh, th that should always be human work, I guess. And um, who's responsible or who should, of course, the News Literally, uh, Literacy Project really focuses on the consumer of information. Um, what is the role of publishers? What is the role of the big tech platforms, search engines, social media? What is the role of policymakers in uh, restoring trust on the internet? You know, it's going to have to be a collaboration of all of us. So, you know, as a publisher, I think we feel our responsibility pretty keenly, which is to do an incredibly good job and be diligent and show our audience, bring them along give them products they can follow, give them people they can trust. Um, one thing we're trying to do is, you know, um, I think a lot of digital publishers got too dependent on the platforms and they, you know, you had a lot of publishers grow up on the strength of Facebook traffic. And when that was yanked away, those publishers went out of business and don't exist anymore. Um, and so not being too dependent on a vast distributed landscape, I think is a key part of this. We do distribute widely. That has been a big area of growth for us, but tending to a homepage audience, a loyal audience, maybe it's an audience that subscribes to you is a big part of this as well. And getting people out of some of those algorithmic feeds to come to your website. And so we're hitting our 10 year anniversary this year. We're redesigning our website. A key thing we're focusing on with our new homepage is how do you create a destination consumption behavior that does a good job for people. You know, I think one, one thing Neelai has been talking to our staff a lot about is that jobs to be done framework. So what is, what is our job to do for the audience as a publisher? Is it to give them comprehensive news such that they can refresh our homepage all day? Is it to give them really good insights? Is it to do the kind of journalism that tells them this product is a product you should buy or not? Um, and so I think being very focused on that job we do for audiences and building loyal audiences that will come directly to us is going to be a key part of our mission going forward and, you know, our mission in the past. 
Um, but how I think, you know, regulation and platform policy should play into that, you know, we, that's just, it's, it's going to be really fun to see how that plays out. I'm not sure that we're going to see it play out in a super crazy way. You know, right now in the United States, deplatforming is the big uh, conversations. So should we allow people onto social media platforms that are going to damage our society and spread misinformation and incite violence? Um, and you have the companies taking a stance that we're private companies. We can inform people if we want, but then you have regulators who maybe want to prevent the companies from doing that. And so do I think regulation should come in to fix that issue? Probably not. So it's, it's going to be a really complex issue. We follow it a lot. Um, and so I'll be reading McKenna Kelly on the verge to follow everything that goes there. And uh, trust and loyalty, are they for you synonyms to each other or? Um, yeah, I would say trust and loyalty should go hand in hand. If you're loyal to a brand or you're loyal to a byline, I think you are loyal because those people, you trust them to do a good job. And so I think those things have to go hand in hand. And then on the flip side of, you know, issues we deal with in the world, like misinformation, I think there's also a lot of overlap between misinformation and issues like online harassment. That's a really big one where we think of, I think it's easy to think of misinformation as a deep fake video, a fake news story. So often some of these, the forms some misinformation campaigns take are harassment campaigns. So someone wants to undermine trust in a journalist or an institution, go read all 10,000 tweets they've sent in their entire career. And then they will say, look, this person is not, you know, this person's a racist or um, this person sent a tweet 10 years ago. And in some cases, yeah, you, you look at the, that and you say, okay, this person did something problematic. We need to interrogate it. But you also see really bad faith campaigns trying to destroy the careers of journalists. And so we as a newsroom have to teach our journalists how to protect themselves. We as a Verge have taken a pretty public stance that we're not going to stand up for uh, bad faith campaigns of harassment and, and fire people who don't deserve to be fired. And that's been hard. You know, it's hard to not fall for some of these traps that we see on the internet. And so being really careful about um, that form, caring for our journalists who face this every day. By the way, female journalists, journalists of color face this at a very disproportionate rate in the news industry, like we as a publisher also have to really care for people, educate them, protect them, give them resources, because that's another really damaging form that misinformation campaigns are taking. Lastly, The Verge has technology in its DNA. The original editorial insight was that the technology, it, it was from a side thing, it really became the center of everything. And there's a whole new generation of uh, consumers growing up with technology. In a few years from now, what will the internet look like? Let's say by the end of this decade, and what's the role of The Verge? Ooh, that's a really good one. I mean, the role of The Verge is to change as fast as we need to change and adapt to all the different stories. An interesting part of our coverage is if you, if you look back at a Verge homepage 10 years ago, most of the stories we were publishing were about gadgets. They were about products, they were about phones, very gadget focused. But gradually technology has infected every industry and every part of our lives. So when you look at the Verge front page today, 
It's issues of, you know, the biggest regulatory questions in the world right now are antitrust questions about the large tech companies. And so the scope of what we do, while it has remained hyper-focused on the technology industry, has necessarily spread because the technology industry is eating everything. You can't run a business in 2021 without understanding, at a deep level, a lot of technology questions about how you market yourself, how you interact with your consumers and structure your IT. Um, and so that has been a big change for our mission. Um, as we look forward at the next 10 years, I think that is only going to accelerate. Um, I think the way we would like to go after it would be to continue thinking about the really focused on the job we do for our audience and in the job we do across mediums. So as we go after new businesses, as we grow in areas like podcasting, like newsletters, like entertainment, like commerce, um, to stay really focused on that. Uh, I think the internet as a whole, you know, I think we're already seeing in Europe reckoning over the fact that there are these algorithmic feeds that are some of the primary way people interact with content on the web today. If we want to get out of the algorithmic feeds, you know, what you can attack it by trying to regulate the feeds and getting a look somehow into some of the things that govern all the ways we get content. Other ways could be, you know, trying, yeah, trying to build loyal audiences for specific products um, and specific brands. And so that's, that's never an easy job. Um, but I think it's the job we're going to have to do. Perfect. Uh, Helen, thanks so much for sharing your insights. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with as a new homepage uh, over the coming months. Will it be launched on your 10th birthday? I think we're going to tease it, but probably early next year. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, congratulate you in November when um, with the 10-year anniversary. And of course, uh, we'll keep our uh, listeners up to date on when your site launches. I can't wait to see it. Any closing thoughts from your end? I think the thing I would just end on would be this idea that um, if to be a strong news brand and to grow, we're going to need to build these parasocial relationships with audience. We're going to need to create products um, that really put our reporters and our talent at the front and center. And we're going to need to be really innovative and creative in how we do that. We're going to need to bring up new talent. We're going to need to support the talent we have, um, and we're going to do, do a really good job for our audience to earn their attention and earn their trust. Thanks so much for sharing the insights. And uh, yeah, first, obviously, uh, you did an amazing job in building uh, what there is today with such a holistic coverage of regulations and tech. And yeah, keep up the amazing work. And thanks so much for sharing your insights. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Sebastian. It is well known that today the public trust into media organizations is low and therefore we've surveyed a global audience to better understand what publishers can do to increase trust with their audience. We've released these findings in our fresh report called Trust in Publishing 2021. You find the report, the show notes of this episode and many other valuable resources at thetrustedweb.org/podcast. Once again, thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together.